Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, how can we ever say thank you enough for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? Lord, and we live in your grace. We move in your grace. Lord, and we glory in you. In Jesus' name. Uh, if I can maybe just have 10-15 minutes of your time. Um, at the end of this month, it will be nine months since uh, Anita myself um, left what to us was death. And I'm sure most of you know what I'm talking about. And came into the grace of God. Now... Um, that this was last year in November and in that time the Lord kept talking to us about guard your heart guard your heart and at that stage I never fully understood what God was talking about the way that I understood it was when God said guard your heart it meant that uh, be careful of sin that you allow inside of you and now I understand, after listening to Bertie, that what the, the Lord was actually talking about is your belief system. Protect what you believe. Protect the pure message of Christ from being polluted by anything but the grace of God. Um, which will cause death. Um, and we praise the Lord for that. I mean, God says, guard your heart, for out of it is the issues of life. And um, where we are now, I can just testify that we are experiencing life. It is such a joy um, to walk on a road where the sacrifice of Christ is becoming bigger and bigger. The rea realization of what Jesus did for us is just becoming bigger and bigger. Initially, when we started out on this road, I was thinking to myself, um, what, what says to me that this road of grace that we are embarking on is the right road? And the answer that, that I got was, how can it be wrong to stand in a place where the sacrifice of Jesus and the work of Jesus is just becoming bigger and bigger? Surely you can't be in the wrong place. If the trust and the faith you place in Christ is becoming bigger and bigger. And the trust that you place on your own ability becomes less and less. And that is a glorious place and that is a, glor a glorious place of life in abundance. You know, uh, maybe two weeks ago I, I had a dream and I was dreaming that I was standing on the edge of a, a, a pool, a large pool, and uh, next to the pool was a, 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 um, a spring plank. What's that in English? A diving board. And I was talking to another p uh, man who was standing next to the pool. And I was saying to him, don't be afraid to climb onto the diving board and to jump into the pool. Because the water that's in the pool won't reject you. It won't pull away to one side and you, you will hit the bottom of the pool. Because... The diving board is like Jesus. That is your access into the pool. And the pool is like the Spirit of God. The power of God that is available to us. If you climb up through the sacrifice of Christ and you dive into the pool, which is the very being of God, that pool won't reject you. 
And that is how we live. We live in the power of God. If we jump into the water, the Spirit of God, we, our very life has to become easier. Work has to become easier. Getting up in the mornings has to become easier. Just living every day has to become easier because we live in the water, in the presence of God. Every day because of the sacrifice of Christ. Now, what, what is very interesting, if, if you read uh, Numbers 5, uh, it talks about uh, the curse of bitter water. What happened was, if, if, if a husband um, had a suspicion that his wife committed adultery, he would bring her before the priest, and what the priest would do is, he would uh, take holy water, he would put it into an earthen vessel, and he would add to that, he would add the dust that's on the floor of the tabernacle. And then he would speak certain curses, and the, the wife would drink that water. And if she did commit adultery, then um, her belly would swell, and the scripture says her thigh would rot. Now that, would, that means that she would not be able to bear any fruit anymore. She would literally become unfruitful. And that is the curse of bitter water. What that signifies is that uh, the holy water is like the Spirit of God. The earthen vessel is us. And God pours His Spirit into us. Now if we add dust, which is the flesh, if we add fleshly works to an earthen vessel that contains the Holy Spirit of God, it becomes bitter water. And that only brings death. It only brings a curse. You will not be able to bear fruit. Um, um, if she wasn't guilty, nothing happened to her. But, um, uh, what is very interesting, if you read in Exodus, if you remember, the Israelites came to Mara, which uh, signifies the bitter water, they couldn't drink the water, they were thirsty, but the water was bitter, they couldn't drink it. And then um, uh, the Lord showed Moses a tree, and Moses cast this tree into the bitter water. And when he cast the tree into the bitter water, the water became sweet, and they could drink the water. Now, what, what does that say to you? If you just quickly think of that, what does that say to you? Casting a tree in bitter water. Yeah, I mean, Scripture says, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Christ hung on a tree for us. Now, if we add a cross to the bitter water, the bitter water becomes sweet and we can drink it. Um, now, if you read Psalm 69, uh, which speaks prophetically of Christ, it says that I drank uh, vinegar, and they gave me gold for my meat. And if you read uh, 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 Matthew and John, it says that they dipped the sponge with vinegar that I gave to Christ, they dipped it in gold, and they gave uh, him to drink of it. Um, and then John says, after Christ had, had drunk this vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he died. Now what that signifies is that Christ drank the bitter water, which is the curse on our behalf so that we no longer have to be cursed for mixing uh, the spirit 
with the law. You see, and that is the glory of Christ. Because if you read the scriptures, Christ is everywhere. He's in every scripture, he's in every passage. And that is the glory of Christ. So, Christ literally drank the curse that was meant for us. He took it into himself and he became that curse. So that we can be free from any curse. So that we don't have to live a life where we can't bear fruit for God. But that we can live a a life where we are free from any curse and we can bear fruit for God. But therein is also the warning that, that we do not mix the holy water, the spirit of God, with any fleshly efforts to please God or to attain the blessing of God. Um, John 19.30, it says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, which was mixed with the gall, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. So Jesus died after he had become the curse for us. So what, what, what was amazing to me in this nine months uh, that, that we've been here, is just how the Lord has opened up the scripture for me. Scriptures that I could previously not understand. I mean, I can't remember how many times I read the Old Testament prophets and I could never understand what they really meant. And it is just so wonderful to read these scriptures and to see that Christ is everywhere. Uh, what, What was very amazing to me is if you read Isaiah 54, it says... And all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls off from the vine and as a falling fig from the tree. Now, um, if you can remember, those of you who were here a couple of months ago, there was a, a visiting pastor here, I think his name was Francois Berger. And he said that if you read Revelation, most of Revelation had already been fulfilled. And afterwards I thought, Lord, but that, surely that can't be true. And then I read this scripture. And uh, what's interesting, if you, if you read the prophets, there, there's layers of meaning inside the Old Testament prophets. Uh, on, on a first level, it would deal with the, the, the historic time that happened at that stage. But underneath it, there's different layers of meaning that would speak prophetically of Christ. Um, and if you read that, it says, The host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. Now, what that reminded me of is Colossians 2.14. That says, uh, God blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So, this handwriting of ordinances is like a scroll, because it was written on a scroll. But, uh, Revelation says that God would create a new heaven. And it, it just became clear to me, this is the way I understood it, is that when Jesus died on the cross, the law, the handwriting of ordinances that was written on a legal document was rolled up. And it was like it was in the heavens, and we were living under a heaven that required of us to do certain things to be blessed. And because of the curse that Christ uh, became for us, 
the scroll, this handwriting of ordinances was taken away. It was rolled up and taken away, which means that we do no longer do we live under an angry heaven. We do not live under a heaven that requires of us to work to be blessed. We are living under a heaven, Scripture says, that rains down righteousness. Every day, God is raining down righteousness. He's raining down blessings upon us. uh, I've heard um, preachers say before that God is angry uh, with this country because of the sin that's in the country. That is not true. We are no longer living under an angry heaven. We are living under a heaven where Christ became the curse for us. And we are free. We are blessed. Every day God rains down blessing, He rains down righteousness upon us because there is no covering anymore above me that requires me to keep to ordinances a handwriting of a legal document in order to please God because Christ fulfilled all those um, requirements. I really encourage you, when you read the scripture, I know you do it, but... Christ is everywhere. Um, and the joy of what Christ accomplished for us is everywhere. Um, and let that fill us. We, we live in the Spirit of God through the ability of the Lord. We are free to live in the power of God. We are the blessed of God. We are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. My title is, What Has the Gospel Done? Imagine yourself, you're working at home and uh, you get somebody to, you know, wash the car and clean the, you know, garden and everything and you go to the shop, come back and you see your car through your living room window. You know, you say, what have you done? Now, this is what I'm talking about. What has the gospel done? Um, There's something that the gospel has done purposefully that... um, brought shock to the world and to the heavens. And understanding that will bring life to our lives. Okay, now, if you want to understand what the gospel has done, we must first understand what was wrong that the gospel had to do something. (laughs) Because otherwise there was no purpose for the gospel to do something if nothing was wrong. Okay, so I want to talk a bit about what happened in the garden. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, 3, 4, I think 2 and 3 says, um, I have bewitched you to one husband, but do not let yourself be beguiled as Satan beguiled Eve through the simplicity, or from the simplicity that, that is in Christ. Now, the key for me there is, um, Eve was beguiled, deceived, seduced. Um, now, to be able to de- deceive someone, um, you must cause them to think what they do is right. But they're actually doing something that is not right. Um, you don't bring something bad to somebody and say, Listen, yeah, if you sign here, yeah, I own everything you have. Sign there. That's not deception. It's not going to work. Okay, so firstly what we must understand is the thing that brought death unto man looked good, it looked right because it was good and it was right 
Who of you have seen the movie The Book of Eli? Okay, two people. What happens... Um, yeah. See, what happens... Uh, let me just uh, talk about, about that. The review... The people don't review it that good, most people. Because they say they don't, they don't know what the audience is for, actually. Because it's got high violence... So action people will like it. But then it's got a spiritual side which action people don't like. So they won't watch it. And then it's got a spiritual side which religious people would like. But then it's got an action side which they don't like. So they know who will watch it. Um, and most people that watch action don't like the movie. Because why do they talk about the Bible there? And the other folks say, no, it's too violent. So they don't watch the movie. It's actually a very, very good movie. If you read between the lines. Not the, um, the Bible is about... Uh, what you do unto others, you know, not that kind of things, but, you know, you read behind it, it's very nice, you know. This guy wanted to use the good of the Bible because he, he realized the power that it has on influencing people and he wanted to build, build a big empire. See, the good thing, it was a good thing. That's why he was deceived. And the thing is, what we must understand is, the law was a very good thing. That's why Adam and Eve was deceived, or Eve was deceived. It was a good thing. The problem is that it is a good thing. If you go to somebody that's all his life been religious, and you tell him, listen, this is going to kill you, he's going to fight. Why? Because the law is a good thing. (laughs) It is a very good thing. Romans 7 says, is the law evil? It's not possible. I, I would not have known evil if it, was not, if it wasn't for the law. In other words, the law has a standard. It has something it stands for. It has a, a good thing that it wants to achieve. It's a very good thing. The problem was our inability. The, the, the weakness of man. That was the problem with the, the giving of the law. The law was not a, a bad thing. If you put the law there and you, you look at what it stands for, it's a very good thing. It's holy, says Paul. So, if we want to achieve reaching people that is, stands for the law, we must realize it doesn't help we tell them how bad the law is. Because we will never achieve reaching a status of the law is bad. Because it is not bad. It is good. Love your brother. Don't steal his stuff and don't kill him. It's not bad. It's good. Okay. Let's read Romans 8. And verse from the beginning. (laughs) Sounds a bit contradictory. It is not. You will hear now. Romans 8 verse 1. There are therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who does not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in the key, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, so that he could condemn sin in the flesh. If you turn around to Romans 7, it says, now I must just find the right one, 
uh, I think it's uh, about verse, let's see, um, verse 7. Um, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. On the contrary, contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desires. For apart from the law, sin wasn't dead. And this was the bad. The bad thing was that man in himself was dust, flesh, everything that is not God. Because if you take, it's like when you take a diamond and you take all the carbon out, what's left? Anybody has science? If you take a diamond and take carbon out, what's left? Nothing. Why? Because it is carbon. Okay? Um, now, the, the, the problem is, man was out of dust and God blew his breath of life in him and he, he rose up a living soul in the image and likeness of God. Take the life of God out and it was nothing. Flesh. And that was the problem. The problem was that if you take out God and put the law there, wickedness takes um, advantage of the good and bring forth evil. So if we, and, the, and the, this is the deception, this is the power of a lie. The power of the lie is in the fact that it looks good. The, the, the power of drugs on people um, is not on people whose lives are perfect, you know, like a stable family. They've got a good income, they've got bread on the table, they're happy with one another. You can do drugs, it will be very good for you. They won't, why? Because it doesn't look good to them. But the guy who is struggling, his wife left him, he's bankrupt, you know, he wants some, something to make him feel good. To him it looks good. The power of the holding on him is the fact that it looks good. And that is the problem. That if we don't realize um, the truth about it, the truth about our state, what, the gospel and all that, people get deceived. And that is the power of the law. The power of the law, the fact that it's preached all over the world, tonight and every day of our lives that goes by, people live by the law, is not because the law is bad. It's because the law is good. It's because it stands for a good thing. And the evil in man, in other words, the I, I will prove that I can be godly by my own. That pride of life, I mean what uh, uh, 1 John says, sin, uh, the, the, the sin is pride of life, pride of the eye, um, lust of the eye, and um, lust of the flesh. So that pride, that one thing to be strong on my own, that I am apart from God, I, I can be like God. And that's what an atheist is. An atheist is somebody that says, I don't need God. It doesn't mean he doesn't believe in God, he just says, I, you know, I don't need God. And that takes a hold of the good, because here's a guy trying to be like God, okay, by, by, by his own effort. But what is God like? Now I don't know. If you give me the, the law, he says, ah, there's a list of lo- good things that I can do to be like God. 
that, that is the problem with the law. Deception that it, it looks good. If you put God and the law next to one another, they look alike. Well, think about it. Does God murder? No. And the law? Well, it, it looks like it doesn't murder, but it, in the end it does. Does God steal? No. The law also doesn't, you understand? That's why people confuse it. God is like this, the law is like this. Let's do the law because God is like that. The deception is, it looks good. Okay. God did what the law could not do, seeing that it was weak through the flesh. Okay? And send his own son in the likeness of flesh. For what account? What reason? For the account of sin, that he could condemn sin in the flesh. God's purpose with Jesus was not to remove the law. God didn't have a problem with the law. God didn't have a problem with a good standard. The problem that God had was sin was in the lives of people, destroying their lives. The process of, re- of, of, of removing the sin was removing the law. The law was not the purpose, the law was part of the process. Because the law gave power to sin. You understand? The problem was sin all along. What happened in the garden? Adam sinned or chose to be apart from God. Eve was deceived. What was the next thing God told him? Behold, sin will now stand with your door and knock. The moment the law was put there, sin came out. Sin was the problem. Sin was standing between God and man. Sin was destroying the life of the creation of God. God was looking at man and saying, this is my beloved creation. He won't come to me. Why? Because sin is making him feel condemned. Why does he feel condemned? Because the law that he can't achieve is the thing he's trying to achieve that he fails to achieve that makes him feel unqualified and then he doesn't come to me. That was the problem. So God said, let me remove. I want to, I want to remove sin so that man does not feel guilty. But why does he feel guilty? Because of the law. So let's deal with the law problem so that we can deal with the condemnation so that sin can be eradicated so that man can once again come to God. This was the purpose of the gospel was to remove sin. For he sent his son in likeness of flesh on account of sin so that he could condemn sin in the flesh. Um, Yeah, Galatians 5. Um, Let's go there, Galatians 5. Do you see the difference? Does it make sense? Galatians 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 19, or 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The work of the flesh, in other words, the work that comes from trying to be on your own, strong enough, Um, going to the law to achieve it is in other words for every believer that very strongly believes with all his heart and wants to do all of the good things 
and never ever wants to do the bad things but does not do it through God living in him will have the following in his life adultery fornication uncleanness um, lawlessness idolatry sorcery hatred contentions jealousies outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions dissensions heresies envy murders drunkenness revelries and the like <laughs> I was writing to Christians I was not writing to the Gentiles standing in the synagogue of whatever God they worship previously he wasn't writing to the Jews this was to Galatians the churches in Galatia if we go to Galatians 1 verse 1 it says Paul an apostle not from men nor through man but through Jesus Christ and God the Father raised him from the dead and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia why does he warn the churches about these bad things in people's lives because that will be in your life which is sin which is the problem that will bring condemnation back which will take you away from God when you try with, with apart from the life of God to bring forth the life of God trying to, to manifest you know something out of it um, you know the old fake Rolex thing the problem is that you know, people always thought, and, and, and now, through the deception of looking good, through people believing this, seeing this, and they said, okay, well, if the law is good, then we must attain it, and all that kind of, and that's where all the deceptions comes in from. Okay, if we copy Jesus, you know, we'll be fine. What would Jesus do? <laughs> it's not about what would Jesus do. Who was Jesus? What was the source of his life? Uh, you know, um, even in music, like tonight we had lovely music. You'll have musicians that are very good, they know the instruments, they're not famous. Then you get people that's not even so good, but they're famous. Because the music comes from who they are. Their heart just flows with music. If you, if you are a musician, you'll understand this. Look at people like, let's say, Neil Diamond. He's the, he's the male singer that has sold the most album in the world. He doesn't have a perfect voice. He knows it. His producers knows it. Still, he has sold, I mean, like 200 million albums. These people with, with perfect pitch. Never done that. Why? Music just flows from who he is. And not perfect peace doesn't make it because Celine Dion is the female um, artist who has sold the most albums and she has perfect pitch. So it's not about perfect pitch or not perfect pitch. It, it's about w- where do you sing from? I mean, that's, that's a very small comparison, but that's what it's about. The life that you live, what, a, what does Paul say? Paul say, um, I am dead, yet I am alive. But the life that I live is not me that's living, but Christ living in me. This is what the gospel is. What did the gospel do? Okay, that's what we come back with. So, Romans 8, 1, second. When you go on in Galatians, 
it says, but the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, what the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. What grows when you walk in the Spirit is all these very good things. Love, joy, kindness, all these things. And then he says, and none of these is against the law. Why? Because it's according to the law. <laughs> because the law and God looks the same. But they are not. The one is a deception, bringing death, and the other one is the very essence of life. Okay. So, when you see the fruit of the Spirit, then it will not be against the law. But, if you see the fruit, if you see those good things, it does not mean you are living from God. Because it could be both. They look, they look alike. The one is born from the Spirit and the one is not. The, pro, the, 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 the key is and the taste is if you take the long run where does the one end up? It ends up in the lust of the flesh with all those bad things. Okay. Romans 8 says verse 3 For what the law could not do that it was weak through the flesh Guarded by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin he condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. If you walk according to the flesh, in other words, your ambition to be like God, you will never see the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in your life. What you will see, is drunkenness, revelry, idolatry, hatred, murderers. Because you walk according to the flesh. If you walk according to the Spirit, in other words, the Spirit of God who indwells you, which he says, Lezan, he says, the righteous requirement of the law will be fulfilled in you. It's a fruit. It will be fulfilled in you. In other words, what the Gospel has done in our lives is what the law could not do. And that is, to fulfill in our lives the righteous requirement of the law. The life of the believer is the life of Christ. Which is, hey, it looks like the law. No, it's not the law. But it might look like it. Because what the law could not do, trying to achieve those things, the Spirit of God automatically brings forth in our lives. Okay, then it says, for those who are live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the f- flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, things of the Spirit. Okay, skip, skip, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ be in you, the body of death because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Because of righteousness. Now, in church, we've been taught um, when you get born again and you speak in tongues, it means the Spirit of God has come upon you and now you are spiritful. That means Jesus dwells in you and you are righteous. You know? And then your, your spirit is now born again, so now you are soul, body, spirit, that whole very put out thing. Um, I don't believe that is very correct. It is a good way of understanding that man is both those three and all of that. 
But I think they misunderstand a lot of things with that. Because uh, a lot of small deceptions can kind of that that confuses people. Um, that I won't go into that now. Um, let me explain what I'm trying to say with this. It says, verse 4, That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. But those who live according to the flesh... Okay, forget that. Verse 4, The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then it says, um, verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Okay, so... Walking in the, in, the, in the Spirit, having the righteous requirement of the law fulfilled in you, equals having the Spirit of Christ. Right? Because it says, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. In other words, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, then you walk in the Spirit. And the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in them that walk according to the Spirit. So, if, the, if you walk in the Spirit... It means the Spirit of God in you and the righteous requirement of the law in you. Then it says, okay, then it says, verse 10, And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay, so, how do you know the Spirit of God is in you? When the righteousness is there, how do you get the righteousness there? By walking in the Spirit. What is in the Spirit? To trust in the life of God flowing out of you and not your own. So, the fruit or, or the, the... How you know you've got the Spirit of God in you is only one um, thing you can see it by and that is do you live your life whatever fruit is happening there? Is it born out of God Christ living in you or not that's how you know the spirit of God is in you because he sent his son to fulfill the righteous requirement in us in them that walk in the spirit if you walk in the spirit the spirit of God is in you the spirit of God is in you because of righteousness how do you get righteousness by walking in the spirit if you walk in the spirit you will get righteousness which means the Spirit of God's in you. Does it make sense? Or is it complicated? Complicated? Huh? Not. Okay. The thing is, we've always been taught if you come to church and you feel good, you know, you clap with or you pray in tongues, maybe pray for some sick, then it means God's in you. Then your spirit's born again. And you are in the Spirit. No. In the Spirit is not that. In the Spirit is the life that's out of me. Is born from God. Sangomas also have miracles. They are not born from God. We don't see it. We live in Western society. We've caused that those things. If you go to the Amazon or the Mexican bushes, there is witchcraft there. Very, very strong. People fly... People do all kind of weird stuff. They call rain and rain comes. Very powerful things. It's not from the Spirit of God. It's not. The Pope lives a holy, very holy life. I don't say he's not born again. But it does not mean he's from the Spirit. If in his heart 
he, he abides perfectly by the church law. It's not from the Spirit. If God lives in him, it's by the Spirit, because it is righteousness bringing forth that life. Then, it is born from the Spirit, and then the Spirit of God is in you. The, the, the deciding factor for being the Spirit, for being indwelled by God, is righteousness is living the life in you. Because that requirement has been given us. Okay. Acts. Now I must get, just get the right number of Acts. Nice. I think I uh, didn't write it down. Verachtig, hier blijf ik om raak. Oké, Acts 13. Oké, so what happened here is um, Paul came preaching in Jerusalem. What's really funny that I, that I did see here is when he this is now nothing to do with the message this is just something funny I saw here when he did come to there preach the grace message the heathens outside decided, um, asked can he please you know preach it to them the next Sunday or the next Sabbath Saturday and then there was such a big crowd the Jews suddenly became jealous and wanted to kill him then I, I said to God when last was the grace crowd, the big crowd? Just interesting sake. <laughs> that was just a funny thought. Uh, yeah, normally it's the other way around. <laughs> okay. Verse 36. For David, after he served his, own, um, served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, Jesus Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sin. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all the things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Okay, now. You are justified by everything, or from everything, or according to everything, or with everything, that you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Now, firstly, justified means what? What would be the difference between justification and righteousness? Because that, um, that is an important part. Righteousness. A man is declared righteous. Okay, we have been described the righteousness of Jesus. So righteousness is actually right standing. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, if you, the first interpretation of righteousness is right standing. So righteousness is a, is a stance or a, a way someone is. Okay, justification is not that. Justification is the just thing done. To someone. Okay? Now, if we think it means righteousness, then let's rephrase it. You will be declared righteous or made righteous from everything that the law of Moses could not make you righteous from. Okay? That sounds good, doesn't it? Okay? Um, 
You were declared sinner and a bad man, murderer according to the law. Now you're declared righteous. You are, you are not guilty. It's good. But it's incomplete. Because what, what, is, what is Romans say? It says, He did what the law could not do, which was what? Declare man righteous. Now, fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law in our lives. Okay? The righteousness, to, to declare somebody righteous is... Um, Okay, you are now fine with the righteous standards. Okay, so the righteous requirement of the law is, let's say the Ten Commandments, we make it very short. Okay, you are not a thief, you are not a murderer, and you love God and your neighbor. That's the righteous requirement of the law. Okay? So to declare somebody righteous is to say you are fine. But to be justified is to have that requirement fulfilled in your life. In other words, to... Not be declared it, but to attain unto it. And that is what has happened. You have been justified from that which which Moses could not justify you. In other words, um, if we looked at your standard of living, okay, I could not call you righteous according to the law. Because you failed. You could not be declared righteousness. So what did Jesus do? He took the standard of life that the law wanted to measure us by and He fulfilled it in us. In other words, He justified us according to Moses. He gave us that standard of life. So if you now take the law, now oh, it's... He measures to the standard. Because our life is His life. Or His life is our life. Colossians 1, 3 verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ to a new life, thus sharing in His resurrection from the dead, aim at and seek those rich eternal treasure that is above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay? Set your mind and keep it set on the things that are above. For when Christ, who is your life, shall appear, you shall appear with him. Okay? He is our life. Our life is his life. His life is our life. And there is a great deal of freedom in understanding we are not guilty before God. There is a great deal of understanding God is merciful towards us as sinners. He does not um, Count our sins to us. Second Corinthians five, seventeen. Let me read it. Um, there is a great deal here that has long not been understood. Seventeen says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away; all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us. To himself through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Which is. Okay. So what is the ministry of reconciliation? We have it. We have the ministry of reconciliation. Okay. But what is it? He's going to explain. That in. That is that God was in Christ. Reconciling. 
the world. I remember that. It's important. The world to himself. By doing what? How did he reconcile the world unto himself? By not imputing their trespasses. And has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Which means, now then we are as ambassadors for Christ's sake, as though God has pleaded through us, we implore you on behalf, be ye reconciled to God. Okay. What's important there for me is that we understand He has reconciled the world by not imputing their trespasses. In other words, if you take the world, every man, the whole, almost seven billion of them, God is not imputing their trespasses. That's the mercy of God. Okay? John 1, no, yeah. John 1, verse round about 29, I think. We see Jesus walking um, to John the Baptist, baptizing, and we hear John the Baptist say a phenomenal thing that the church doesn't really understand. He says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the... What does he say? World. Did Jesus come and fulfill his work? Yes, he does. That means he has removed the sin of the... the world. That is the mercy of God. And that's what Barthes was speaking about, redemption. See, the, the, the message of the gospel is not going to the world and saying, listen, yeah, if you stop doing all the wrong things you have and ask God forgiveness and don't do it again, He will accept you into His very elect gathering, the church, and then if you keep up with that, you'll fit right in. It's not the gospel. The gospel is God was so merciful to sinners that He reconciled them to Himself by not imputing their trespasses. There's great power in that. Okay? But, imagine this, okay? You take a guy, he grew up in a, in a, in a gangster neighborhood. Okay? He lives with all this violent stuff, eight year old, you know, he's already in the gangs and all of that. Um, ends up in prisons, all that kind of things. And at 18 years old, somebody's merciful and the judge says, listen here, I'm going to give you a second chance. I don't condemn you. You are free. Okay? It's very, very, very big thing that happened in his life. All of his wrongdoings is taken away. But what now? He doesn't know anything else. You know, he doesn't know how to be a banker. He doesn't know how to work in a grocery store. He doesn't know how to drive a tractor, dig a hole. He doesn't know administration. He doesn't know how to work on a farm. The only thing he knows is gangs, violence. That's all he knows. Okay? So the chance that his life will change is round about zero. Maybe a little bit more. Like 0.11. Oh, is it 1%? Because he knows nothing else. Where is he going to go? And that's the problem with that. If God only, only forgave sin, then it, it would be powerful, but inefficient and ineffective. Because, take a person, forgive all his sins, give him some time, he's back where he started. Because, he hasn't changed. 
He is the problem that got him there in the first place. <laughs> you know? I mean, why, why was he there? Because of him. Not his friends. Not the president. Not some other country. Him was, he was the problem. And this is what he says in Romans 8. Which is, he says... Um, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, guarded by sending his own son. Verse 4. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, we do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Okay? What does he say? According to the, not, those that walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The, 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 the spirit. Acts 13 again, I just want to quickly read that, the one I read previously. It says, And by him everyone who is believed is justified. Wait a bit. Everyone who believes is justified. And this is what the gospel has done. Okay? Much greater than merely forgiving our sins. He removed the sin of the world. Is it true or not? It's true. Okay? Now many of those people whose sin is removed is still seeing the work of the flesh in their lives. The world out there is not safe. Prisons are full. People are murdering right now. In this country even. Maybe in Cape Town. <laughs> so, that effect, though it be true, seems to be powerless. Or not. The problem is, even in church, okay, let's forgive, forget the world. Let's take in church tonight. How many people are sitting in church in South Africa at this time in a church? That's probably a million or more. Do we see the fruit of the Spirit in every life? Not legally. I'm, you know, I'm talking about, do, they, do we see people being happy, filled with God, walking with Him? If not, why not? Because of this truth, and that is, although God has forgiven the sin of the world, Taking it away does not, you know, will never think of it again. They don't know it, firstly, <laughs> so they can't believe it. And when you believe it, you need something to change. Because if you just stay the same, the problem goes on. Why does the problem go on? Because of the beginning. See, in the beginning, God, man didn't just live and suddenly there were sins in his life and so God decided, okay, well, if I forgive him, the sin will be gone. No. God was, man was living according to the standard of God because God was in him. God was in him, so he, of course he measures up. You know? If you take a horse and you look at all the characteristics of a horse and say, okay, this is now a, a thoroughbred. You know? Does he look like an Arab? No. Why? He's a thoroughbred. Okay? Uh, does he bark? No. Why? He's a horse. No, he's about four hands, whatever. He will measure to the standard of a horse. Why? Because he's a horse. And if God lives in us, we will measure the standard of God because God's in us. Okay? Now, man, li- ma- ma- man lost that old deal. And that is what had to be restored. Romans 3 said, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That was what had to be restored. Now, the glory of God, we always used to see, especially in charismatic circles, the glory is this fire, glory, miracle things. Okay? Let's go look at the first 
time in the Bible we ever saw the glory. Moses. Moses, I will show you my glory. Hide in the rock. Next thing what happens? I am the Lord, merciful, loving, kind, gracious, slow to anger. Who God is, is His glory. Okay? So, all have sinned and fall short of who God is. Although they try to. Okay? And this is what justification is. This is the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us. Okay? God forgave our sins. Lovely. What is that? That is what kept man away from God. The reason the guy just yeah, outside in his place, not wanting to come to church, not even, I'm talking about any church, not wanting to come to God is why? Condemnation. <laughs> because of the law, because of sin. Okay? Now, if he can realize the law is gone, and so is his sin and his condemnation, he might come to God. And then what? And then you will be justified of the things that Moses could not be justified. Because to them that believe, to them that walk in the Spirit, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled. Okay, now, this is what the Gospel has done. Much more than just forgiving. Forgiveness or removal of sin is so extremely powerful to take people from, away from God and bring them to Him. That is how people come to God. There is no other way. If you read Romans 1, if you've ever read it, Romans 1 talks about people that had not heard the, the voice of God and they went on the very terrible sins and homosexuality and all of that. And So, he talks about all these bad things of people and then we always use the script to say, don't judge your brother. But we, we don't understand the context. Why not? Okay? Romans 2 says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, for you that judge. Okay? Verse 2. But we know that the judgment of God is according to the truth, according to those that practice such things. Verse 3. Or do you think this, O man, you judge those practicing such things, doing the same that you escape the judgment of God? Verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing... That is the goodness of God that led you to repentance. This is what leads people to repentance. The fact that God took away their sin. This is the power of people accepting God. Without this, there is no acceptance of God. Without the remission of sins. That's why the the church has been very successful sometimes in recruiting people. Your sins are forgiven. Wow, come to church. Very successful to a measure. Okay? Because it's not preached in full, there's not so many people that, that came. You know, many people don't come because they still feel condemned because it's, it's only preached in, in truth. You know, in, in, in luck in, in, in bits. If you come to God, you'll be forgiven. Oh, God has forgiven you, come now. Or just, you know, bits of truth. So sometimes people come, sometimes not. Because there's a part of the truth that convinces people. We'll see people, all of people, coming to God once they realize the goodness of God. But what then? And this is where the, the church is very unsuccessful. 
we don't see who God is loving all those people that now accepted His goodness and come to Him. Why? Because we don't realize that what's happened now is when you accepted that mercy of God and that goodness and has come to God and believed. Then the righteous requirement of the law will now be fulfilled in your life. Then we go back to the old system that got them sinning in the first place, which is my ability. Flesh. We end up with sin and all those kind of things. What is the power of the gospel? What is the gospel? I mean, last time I talked about the power of the gospel. What has the gospel done? And that, this is what the gospel is about. You know? If, if I think of, let's say, the devil or the religious leader, if he would say, what has the gospel done? What would it be? It would be that people now are living free from manipulation, fear, control, but they are living the very life of God. And that is what, what has the gospel done? What the gospel is supposed to do or is doing when it is accepted or heard, being persuaded of and believed, wherever the gospel is preached, it will do something which is bring forth the very life of God. These two things that made me to understand the gospel completely in the sense of understanding the concept of a gospel. Maybe not in every scripture or whatever, but the concept of a gospel. And this is, God did not forgive our sins. He does not forgive your sin. He removed it. Okay? He says, First um, Peter or Second Peter says, let these things be in you, you know, uh, virtue and all those kind of things. Because if it's not in your life, you are unfruitful. Because you have forgotten that you were Purged from your sins. You know, when they purge gold from all the filth in the gold, you know, they don't say, ah, I think this is a a good quality, maybe an 18 carat, there's a bit of nonsense in it, but, I mean, we'll forget about the nonsense. We don't pardon the nonsense in the gold, we purge it from it. We burn it until there's nothing that's rubbish left, until there's only gold. God purged us from sin. There is no sin left. We have been freed from the power of it. When do you get under the power again? When you go under the thing that gives power to it, which is the law. Which might seem like a good thing. That's why people are deceived. That is why we preach, so that people can realize they are deceived and falling under the power of the thing bringing forth that in the first place. Okay, so the one thing I learned is God has purged us from our sin. Removing sin from the life of man. And this brought victory in my life because it set me free from sin. But then I came to a place where I realized, okay, I'm very happy now about not having sin, but what now? And this is the second thing. Is, I always felt and thought and was taught as a Christian we attain, you know, we, we strive to live this life of God. I mean, it, it's such a joy to feel God living in you, you know. 
it's very, it feels very nice coming to a sick person and seeing him healed or seeing somebody very down and depressed and you can encourage him and suddenly his life changed. Or raising a dead man or seeing God provide for you. I mean, I remember when I was still in school, um, my father didn't really buy shoes and those kind of things, you know. Maybe here and there or my brothers and sisters when you got saved, they said, listen, I need this. So we prayed, somebody would give us money and things like that. So in my mind, I decided I'm not going to the matric farewell. Two reasons. If you think I'm short now, you, you, you should have seen me then. <laughs> um, I weighed 50 k's when I left school. <laughs> and uh, I looked stand at four. So firstly, you don't go to matric farewell without a date. And uh, I wasn't looking to take a stand at three. You know, because I lose standards for. So, the gold thing was a big problem. I was too short and I looked very young. And secondly, uh, you can't go in your school uniform, it's all I had. Um, <laughs> I, I actually had two short pants, which I uh, went to church. There was church on Saturday and Sunday. One Saturday, one Sunday, next Sunday, again, again, again. And then I started out with the cameras and said, you, you, you can't wear short pants on stage. I said, I don't have anything else. So somebody gave me two long pants. So then I had two long pants. One for Saturday, one for Sunday, you know. Um, so what happened is, I just, I am not going to the matric farewell. That's it. I don't have a problem. Two days before the matric farewell, I come home from school. On the table, my granny says, somebody came here and gave me this. Shoes, trousers, actually this trousers. <laughs> uh, a shirt. The shirt doesn't fit anymore. It used to. Then I started gymming and I once did a stretch and it tore right here. I got too big, um, a bell, things like that. You know? It's nice to feel that interaction. God's provided for me. You know? It's very nice. I mean, when me and my wife decided to be getting married, we decided, listen, yep, we know we don't have money, so what we're going to do is we can invite all the people we want to and say, we have a brigand bride. I will have mu- enough money to buy some meat for, for her and for me. The rest can bring down. <laughs> then afterwards, we'll uh, take our tent and go camping. Um, we'll have enough money for that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, and then we had a lovely wedding, which did not uh, include a bringing bride or camping, because God provided. Uh, three days before my wedding, or actually two weeks before my wedding, until my wedding, I only had two rand in my, per- in my wallet. <laughs> That's all I had. <laughs> But God provided. I mean, our wedding was like 18 grand. We went on honeymoon. We spent like awesome. Every day we did what we wanted. We watched two or three movies a day. Ate out the whole time. Because God's provided. It's nice to feel that. It's nice to feel the nature of God in your life. It is nice. And that is the thing that people are deceived by. They want to live a good life. They want to experience peace between their brother. Look at the mafia. What is the purpose of the mafia? They want to see each other happy. Oh, I'm so sad I don't have that video contract. It's problem solved. How? I'll make them uh, offer they can't refuse. (laughs) What's the purpose of all that? I want to see my... You understand? Everybody wants a good life. But Romans says, 
when we want to attain it by the law, the good thing that we want to do, we can't do. We can't. Because of this whole sin coming out. Every time we want to do good, we see sin. We see all the good things. Now we want to experience that good thing. Everybody in the church wants to, that's why they came to church in the first place. Many people that don't even believe in God want to experience that. Well, everybody in a religion wants to experience good, because that's why they're in a religion. And most people out of religion also want to experience that, because they work themselves up to get a good nice car, to go on holiday, spend time with their families. The guy working 18 hours a day, losing his family, why does he do that? Because he wants to lose his family. Now because he thinks if he can buy very good things, buy, then his happy family will be happy. It's one thing to attain those things. But it can't. But this is what the gospel brings. And this is the second thing I've learned. And this is what makes the gospel complete. Is we don't have to attain to that life. And this is what I realized in the gospel. Is I have been given it. The righteous requirement of the law. The life that the law required you to have has been fulfilled in me when I did not try to attain it by my own but I relied on the spirit or the nature of God what has the gospel done? it has created God in flesh this is what the gospel is I once asked God and this is what I'm gonna I'm gonna end now is I would like to understand how big is God's power in us. I mean, you know, I understand who God is, He's all-powerful, all kind of that, you know. I wanted to understand in words that, 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 that I can explain to myself, okay, God has given us power, He's given us abilities, nature is in us, all of kind of things, okay. How big is this power in us? To what extent can the gospel change my life? Bring forth the love of God. And then, I found something in Ephesians 1, which he says, um, 15, verse, 1 verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in prayer, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Okay? So firstly, he prayed that they might have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. In other words, they might know God. The eyes of the understanding being enlightened, that you might know what is the hope of your calling and what is the riches of the glory. In other words, what is the riches of His person in of the inheritance that's in the saints. Okay? To what extent is His glory or His person in us, which is our inheritance? Okay? Then it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe according to the working of His mighty power? So, He wants us to understand what is the extent, the magnitude of His person and His great power in us. And then He says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and dominion 
every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age that is to come. Okay. What is the extent of his nature, his person in us? And it's this. Okay? When Jesus died, okay, and there was a body, a dead body, okay? So there was once again a nothing, but of dust. The amount of power that it took to take the dust, put it around of God, make it the exact image of God, far above any other thing, because um, Hebrews 1 says, He is the express image, the very likeness of the Father. Okay? So the amount of power that He used to make exact copy of who He was, that's the amount which is the entire extent of who He is. And when I understood that, I realized the, the gospel is much bigger than I thought. Because what He is in us, the extent of His person and the greatness of His power in us, working through us to bring Himself forth, is the entirety of God. And that that brings joy to my life. Because now I understand that for every person in this world there is a truth. They live in bondage under whatever circumstance they have. Might be addiction, might be no money, might be sickness, might be too much money. (laughs) Whatever it might be. In the condemnation, fear of God, not liking the idea of God, whatever it might be, or the compilation of all of it together, there is a truth unto Him. Whatever wants to destroy His life has been removed by God. And if He comes to God, He can have everything He ever wanted that is good. And it will be in Him. The friendship of God walking with the Almighty, having God Himself living us. You always wanted to love your brother? You will have the ability to love your enemy. You wanted to have um, food on your table? You will have the El Shaddai, the Father that is more than enough. You will have the richest Father in the universe. You want peace in a troubled situation? you will have peace that is above understanding. (laughs) Etc, etc. What has the gospel done? And for us, for me, if I understand what has the gospel done to mankind, and I think it's for myself, it has done what every aspect of every desire for good that I could ever have, has already been fulfilled in my life. Understanding it brings fulfillment of it in my life. So that's that. Does it make sense? <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you very much for your gospel. 
Thank you, Jesus, for what you have done. Thank you for the extent of your plan that is greater than what any mind could ever have thought of. No, no person could have thought this out. It's greater than we, 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 we could have comprehended. We might have expected a king. We might have expected, you know, a little bit of forgiveness or help. But we got the very nature of God. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you that we can share it boldly with others. Thank you that you do your work. That you bear forth the righteous requirement of the law in our lives. Thank you that you have justified our lives. That we can have what we've always wanted. Every good thing that we've always desired, we know we've been given it. Granted as a gift of God. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that who you are, you are also within us. That just as we don't have to doubt your person, we can always trust you perfectly. Thank you that we can trust that person in us. Because the same integrity that you have as person is the integrity that you have in us. And the being that you have in us is the same as the being that you are and have always been. Trustworthy, faithful, merciful, loving, kind. And thank you that through us you will be loving, kind and merciful and gracious to those around us so that they can also realize what you want to be in them. Jesus, thank you for this gospel. Amen.